Part 3, Chapter 12 of Canada's Hundred Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Canada's Hundred Days by John Livesay. Part 3, Chapter 12, Capture of Combray. For some days now, we had held the west side of the Scheldt Canal, from the south of Saint-Oy through Neuville-Saint-Rémy, and continual sniping went on between troops of the 8th Brigade, CMRs, Brigadier General D.C. Draper, and enemy machine-gunners posted opposite in the suburbs of Combray. But to storm the city by frontal attack across the canal, and then to fight our way through its narrow streets, must have proved a very expensive operation without any commensurate gain. Great flares showed that the enemy was systematically destroying his stores, and in two or three districts fire seemed to have hold of the houses. The city itself is dominated by the height to the southeast lying between the villages of Bergnier and Awoint, and it was decided that our attack should await the capture of this height by the 27th Corps on our right. Progress here, however, was slow, and the combined operations set for October 8th failed to come off on that account. Had the troops on our right succeeded in capturing Awoint in their attack of that morning, the Canadian Corps was to attack at nine o'clock the same evening the bridgeheads from the north under cover of darkness. But though Awoint was not taken, it was pretty certain that the attention of the enemy was focused on that battle front and the occasion therefore appearing propitious, it was decided late the same night to attack in the small hours of the next morning. Arrangements had to be completed in a great hurry. The Corps commander describes the events of this period as follows. The 2nd Canadian Division had been in close support throughout the day of October 1st, and during the night October 1st and 2nd, relieved the 4th Canadian Division and parts of the 3rd and 1st Canadian Divisions in the line from the railway south of Tilwa to Blaycourt inclusive. On relief, the 4th Canadian Division came into Corps Reserve in bivouacs in the anchy Quillant area. The relief considerably thinned out the infantry, and, in anticipation of possible counterattacks, a large number of machine-gun batteries were placed in the line. October 2nd passed without any substantial change in the situation. The enemy's artillery was very active throughout the day, and at 6.15 p.m. he delivered a determined counterattack, with a force estimated at about a battalion strong, against the ridge northeast of Tilwa on the 2nd Canadian Division front. This counterattack was repulsed with heavy loss to the enemy. During the night, October 2nd and 3rd, the 11th Division extended its frontage to the right as far as Blaycourt, inclusive, relieving the remainder of the 1st Canadian Division, who came into Corps Reserve west of the canal on completion of the relief. The dispositions of the Canadian Corps at noon, October 3rd, were as follows. In the line, the 3rd Canadian Division on the right on a one-brigade front, from the Arras-Combray Railway to the Combray-Douai Railway south of Tilwa. The 2nd Canadian Division in the center, on a two-brigade front, extending to the northern outskirts of Blaycourt, and the 11th Division on the left continuing the line to a point 1,000 yards south of Aubinchel-en-Bas. In Corps Reserves, the 1st and 4th Canadian Divisions. 
the latter was moved to billets in the haute avesnes arras area on the night of october seventh eighth to give more opportunity to rest and refit the period from october third to eighth passed without any material changes on the corps front an enemy counter-attack was beaten off by the second canadian division opposite bantigny on the morning of october fourth and the eleventh division considerably improved the line on the northern flank by successful minor operations on october fifth and sixth many patrol encounters took place in which some prisoners were captured and our artillery and machine guns kept the enemy under continual harassing fire day and night in addition our heavy artillery carried out a daily program of gas concentrations and counter battery shoots orders were received on october third for the relief of the corps by the twenty second corps concurrently with this relief and as it progressed the canadian corps was to take over the front of the twenty second corps plans for further operations having been formulated to take place on the third army front the canadian corps was ordered on october fifth to cooperate by forcing the crossings of the scheldt canal north of cambrai and the relief contemplated was therefore postponed the third army had been successful in crossing the scheldt canal south of cambrai between crevecourt and provis the operation now contemplated had for object the capture of Combray by envelopment. This was to be carried out in two phases. In the first phase, the 27th Corps was to capture Oint by attacking from the south. The Canadian Corps was to cooperate by artillery demonstration. In the second phase, the Canadian Corps was to cross the Scheldt Canal and, advancing rapidly, capture Escadouvre joining hands with the 27th Corps northeast of Cambrai. The positions occupied by the 3rd and 2nd Canadian Divisions were not favorable for an attack by day. The 3rd Canadian Division was in front of Cambrai, and house-to-house -house fighting was out of the question. The 2nd Canadian Division was separated from the canal by glacis-like slopes, devoid of cover, and on which the enemy had good observation from the numerous houses on the east side of the canal, as well as from the high ground east of Escadouvray. In addition, Moranchier, Pontier, Ramier, and the villages to the north were strongly held by the enemy. In spite of the difficulties of a night operation, it was decided that the 2nd Canadian Division would attack by night and attempt to seize the bridges before they were blown up by the enemy. The 3rd Canadian Division was to cover the right of the 2nd Canadian Division by capturing the railway embankment and entering Combray as soon as possible to prevent any action of the enemy against the right flank of the 2nd Canadian Division, which, under the best circumstances, was bound to be in the air for some time after the crossing of the canal. Brutnell's brigade was to cross the canal as soon as possible, and extend the gains of the 2nd Canadian Division by seizing the high ground east of Thun-Saint-Martin. Ten brigades of field artillery were available for the operation. During the previous weeks, we had made a number of set attacks just before dawn, but an attack at dead of night was a novelty. The 2nd Canadian Division held a line from Tilwa to just west of Blaycourt, and the direction of their attack, with zero at 1.30 a.m., was to be due east. In order to distinguish one another, all the troops attacking were equipped with white brassards on both arms. 
The password of Combre was first selected, but owing to possible confusion with the familiar cry, Camarade, it was changed to Borden. There had been a careful preliminary rehearsal in anticipation of the attack set for the previous evening, with the plotting out of positions for each platoon, for the advance must be made by compass alone, and everything depended on its orderly progress and the avoidance of confusion. The 5th Brigade, Brigadier General T. L. Tremblay, was entrusted with the attack on the right on the bridgeheads, the battalions in the line being the 25th Nova Scotia, the 26th New Brunswick, with the 22nd French Canadians in support, and the 24th Victoria Rifles of Montreal holding the line in reserve. In the dark it was impossible to mop up, and garrisons were left at stated intervals to deal with pockets of the enemy. Advance of the infantry through the pitch dark of a rainy night could not be synchronized to anything in the nature of a creeping barrage, and so instead the artillery laid down crashes on selected areas. Everything went well from the start. Our patrols had reported that the Boches were holding the sunken road west of Ramier, and the road thence running along the left bank of the canal to Morinchet Wood. On this area, our artillery laid a crash for ten minutes, then lifting their fire onto the line of the canal itself. Our men found that the enemy garrisons had been either wiped out or had fled, and advanced without opposition to the canal. The first objective, which was reached on the minute, it was of the greatest importance that a crossing should be made practical immediately, so that the attack could be pushed forward behind Combray itself. For this purpose, Canadian engineers advanced with the infantry, bringing cork floats and bridging material. Pont d'Air is a series of three bridges, leading directly into Escadouvray, and this was the scene of a brilliant exploit by an engineer officer, Captain Colson Norman Mitchell, commanding the Tunnel Company, 4th Battalion, Canadian Engineers, and a native of Winnipeg, Manitoba. He led a small party ahead of the first wave of infantry in order to examine the various bridges on the line of approach, and if possible, prevent their destruction. Coming to the Pont d'Air, he found the first bridge already blown. Under a heavy barrage, he crossed to the next bridge, where he cut a number of lead wires. Then, in total darkness and unaware of the position or strength of the enemy at the bridgehead, he dashed across the main bridge over the canal. This bridge was found to be heavily charged for demolition, and whilst Captain Mitchell, assisted by his NCO, was cutting the wires, the enemy attempted to rush the bridge in order to blow up the charges whereupon he at once dashed to the help of his sentry, who had been wounded, killed three of the enemy, captured twelve, and maintained the bridgehead until reinforced. Then, under heavy fire, he continued his task of cutting wires and removing the charges that he well knew at any moment might have been fired by the enemy, hurling his party and himself into the air. He had thus saved two of the bridges, and shortened by some hours the work of repair. The artillery now laid down a barrage for two hours along the far side of the canal, giving our engineers time to lay their crossings. Both the 25th and 26th battalions crossed over the Pont d'Air before 4.30 a.m. and proceeded to their final objective, which was reached an hour later, before dawn. This was 4,000 yards beyond the Scheldt, with outposts pushed out another 1,000 yards. Strict orders had been given the 5th Brigade that none of its troops were to enter Combray. 
Otherwise, they could have penetrated from the north at the same time, as will be seen later, that the 8th Brigade was making good its entry from the west. In this very brilliant night operation, over 300 prisoners were captured and many machine guns, our own casualties being practically nil. Many more prisoners were mopped up by the garrisons as soon as daylight appeared. But this feat of arms by no means exhausted the work of the 2nd Canadian Division that night. The 4th Brigade, to which Brigadier General C. E. McQuaig had succeeded to the command on the appointment of Brigadier General R. Rennie to a command in England, was held in reserve. But the 6th Brigade, now commanded by Brigadier General A. Ross, Brigadier General A. H. Bell having been wounded, was set the important task of forming a left flank for the operation against the canal. The brigade kicked off from a line east and southeast of Sancourt and advanced to its first objective, a line a thousand yards southeast of Blaycourt, and then started to build up a flank from that point in a straight line to Ramier. The advance began shortly after the attack of the 5th Brigade had developed, with the 31st Battalion of Alberta on the right and the 27th Battalion of Winnipeg on the left, the 29th Battalion Vancouver in close support, and the 28th Battalion Regina mopping up. The 27th pushed right on into Ramier, where a number of prisoners were captured. This important bridgehead being secured, the 29th and 31st built up the flank facing northeast, but as it was apparent that the enemy was taken completely by surprise by this unexpected night attack, our advantage was exploited to the utmost, and our troops by noon had pushed on and captured in succession Blaycourt, Bantigny, Cuvier, and Ezoir. At the same time, the 11th British Division on our left attacked and took the high ground and the hitherto impregnable village of Abancourt. Thus, at one stroke, we secured the plateau, which had been the scene of such terrible fighting the previous week. The enemy had withdrawn the bulk of his forces across the Scheldt, and his rear guard was driven in with very little loss to ourselves. Meanwhile, the 3rd Canadian Division had crossed the canal and captured the city itself. The 8th Brigade was holding the west side of the canal, the 5th CMR, Eastern Townships, being at St. Oy. When at three o'clock of the same morning orders came to send a patrol across the canal with the view of establishing a bridgehead beyond, two of our men swam the canal, landed on the other side, and proceeded to bomb out the enemy machine gun post known to be established at the railway bridgehead. But they found the post deserted. The enemy had evacuated the city half an hour after midnight. Linked arm in arm, our infantry streamed over this broken-down bridge, and by 4.30 a.m. two companies were across. By 6 o'clock, Canadian engineers had constructed a pontoon bridge, over which our field batteries crossed, and by 6.30 a.m. we had penetrated the Place d'Armes, and an officer's patrol was sent to inform our surprised neighbors, troops of the 27th Corps on our right, that we were in possession. The 4th CMR, Central Ontario, had been simultaneously engaged in penetrating the city from the northeast, and by 10.30 a.m. we had pushed through to the southern and eastern outskirts. Captures consisted of an officer and 35 men of a guard's reserve division, left behind to complete the destruction of the city, with five guns, a pineapple, and a number of machine guns. 
The rest of his material the enemy had either removed or destroyed. The capture of Combray was accomplished without a single casualty. But Combray had been delivered over to destruction. We had been compelled to level with our artillery a street of houses along the canal, and had sprayed shrapnel on commanding points whence the enemy had kept up a harassing machine-gun fire, but otherwise we had been careful not to damage the city. As we first entered it, the darkness of night was lit up by incendiary fires. The Place d'Armes, a noble square, on which faced the Hotel de Ville and other fine buildings, was already bursting into flames, and in a few hours was a crumbling ruin. Explosions detonated in almost every quarter of the city. Walking down the Rue de Noyon and the Rue de Paris, Past the cathedral, one noted a dozen in a bare half-hour, each followed by an outbreak of fire. Before long, Canadian engineers were on the scene, searching buildings for incendiary shells set with a time fuse, the method of destruction adopted. By noon, the Place d'Armes was a scene of desolation, of charred brick and smoldering timbers. The sun hung a fiery ball amid the smoke and an atmosphere surcharged with the dust of rocking walls and charred particles. Through this ruddy haze passed Canadian soldiers wearing pickle helmets, found in an abandoned quartermaster's stores, and loaded down with enemy gear. Through it hurried Canadian engineers, now bent on blowing up burning houses clustering round the ancient belfry that that at least might be saved. Through it paced a little party headed by a venerable figure, Monsieur Thulier, Abbe of Saint-Druin, surveying the ruin that had overtaken his diocesan capital. The inhabitants had been evacuated, but a few days before the miserable remnant that was left, but he had refused to go, although they threatened to shoot him because he must stay at the, by the bedside of a dying woman. Now he was accompanied by half a dozen shadowy figures who had remained hid in cellars, and by a bearded French officer who had arrived as representative of the French government. France can never forget nor forgive this, remarked the officer with tears in his eyes. Torch in hand he comes offering us peace. It was a vile, purposeless act of vandalism for which General von Marwitz was the army commander responsible. A west wind was then blowing, and the entire city with its suburbs appeared doomed. A shift of wind that night, together with the tireless efforts of Canadian engineers, assisted by two of our infantry battalions detailed for the work, finally checked the conflagration. But the heart of the city was gone. Everything of interest, of historical value, save the belfry, was destroyed. The Boche had deliberately blown up the museum, the gallery of art, and the bishop's palace but one may be certain it was not until every article of value had been removed. All industries had been wrecked and the machinery of the lace factories moved to Germany. And this malignant spite was by no means confined to public institutions. No sooner was the civilian population evacuated than their homes were given over to sack by the soldiery. Outwardly, the streets and houses bore a respectable appearance. Within all was litter and ruin where the lust of a loot led to senseless and wanton destruction, the kicking in of furniture too heavy to move, the smashing of heavy mirrors, the slashing of family portraits. Almost every little back garden was the scene of brutal vandalism. Women's clothing, children's toys, pictures ripped from their frames, broken services of china, 
feather beds ripped open books bed linen private papers scattered from their files all piled in one common ruin on this debris everything portable in the house had been piled no doubt with the intention of setting it on fire but search the heap and you will not find a single article of intrinsic value that could not find its way into a soldier's knapsack into a prussian officer's kit in the park even the statues had been taken from their pedestals we had heard of these things but now we saw them while Combray burned the enemy was falling back the fifth brigade had meantime pushed through the northern suburbs of Combray and Escadouvray and crossed the railway to where late in the day at the factory northwest of Carrar, our troops joined hands with elements of the twenty seventh corps who after taking Awan, had worked round east of the city patrols were pushed out but had difficulty in getting in touch with the enemy on the left the sixth brigade had pushed out by nightfall to the outskirts of thun saint martin and thun levesque earlier in the day brutenel's brigade had seized the high ground of croix saint hubert as the canadian independent force this brigade with its powerful armored cars had done much good work in the amiens show and elsewhere its mobile characteristics were to become increasingly valuable in the open fighting to follow with the fall of Combray, the battle proper of that name may be regarded as having ended, though, as we shall see during the next few days, the 2nd Canadian Division was to continue the pursuit of the beaten enemy. Sir Arthur Curry's dispatch covering the operation of October 9th is as follows. At 4.30 a.m. October 8th, the 3rd Army attacked, and at the same hour an artillery demonstration was carried out on the Canadian Corps front. The 17th Corps on the right did not reach Awoint, but in the evening they were ordered to continue their advance on the morning of October 9th to capture this town. Concurrently with this advance, the Canadian Corps was to secure the crossings of the Scheldt Canal. In spite of the darkness of a rainy night, the assembly was completed, and the attack was launched successfully at 1.30 a.m., October 9th. Rapid progress was made, and at 2.25 a.m. the 2nd Canadian Division had captured Ramier and established posts on the canal there, and the patrols were pushing out to the northeast. On the right, the infantry, assisted by a party of engineers, rushed the crossings at Pont d'Air, and after sharp fighting, captured the bridge intact, with the exception of the western spillway, which had been partially destroyed. Two cork bridges were thrown across, and by 3.35 a.m. our infantry were well established on the eastern side of the canal. The 3rd Canadian Division had cleared the railway, and their patrols were pushing into Combray, while the engineers were commencing work on the bridges. By 8 a.m. the 2nd Canadian Division had captured Escadouvre, and had established a line on the high ground immediately to the north and east. Detachments of the 3rd Canadian Division had by this time completely cleared Combray of the enemy, and troops of the 3rd Army could be seen coming up towards it from the south. Combray was to be deliberately set on fire by the enemy. Huge fires were burning in the square when our patrols went through, and many others broke out in all parts of the city. Piles of inflammable material were found ready for the torch, but the enemy was unable to carry out his intention owing to the, our unexpected attack and rapid progress. A party of one officer and a few men, which had been left with instructions to set fire to Combray, 
was discovered and dealt with before it could do any further damage. The fires were successfully checked by a large detachment of Canadian engineers who entered the city with the patrols. A considerable number of road mines, booby traps, etc. were also located and removed. An air reconnaissance at dawn indicated that the enemy had withdrawn from the area between the Scheldt Canal and the Canal de la Sense, and that all bridges over the latter had been destroyed. Brutenell's brigade, passing through the infantry of the 2nd Canadian Division, seized the high ground at Croix-Saint-Hubert and pushed cavalry patrols into Thun-Levesque. The 2nd Canadian Division, east of the canal, progressed towards the north and occupied Thun-Levesque, Thun-Saint-Martin, Blécourt, Cuvier, and Bantigny, and the 11th Division occupied Abancourt and reached the outskirts of Paliancourt. The 3rd Canadian Division was withdrawn at 7.10 p.m. when the 24th Division, 17th Corps, passed through and joined up with the 2nd Canadian Division, and Combray and our positions to the east were taken over or occupied by the 17th Corps. The 3rd Canadian Division was moved on the following day to bivouacs in the Anchiquion area to rest and refit after 12 days of battle. End of Part 3, Chapter 12 Recording by Kathleen Nelson, Austin, Texas, July 2010.